0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. Third fourth show we're doing. No, I guess it's the only first show we're doing today because you're hearing it on Wednesday morning. (laughs) It's a Brady Quinn football show.
1: (laughs) You don't even need to do that. I know how worn out you are. You've been doing emergency podcasts left and right. Ryan's been grinding away on these mock drafts, man. I've just been showing up to work. That's pretty much been it for me. But you, you guys have had your work cut out for you. I know that's a setup, and it's going to come back to haunt me somehow, but I'll take it. I'll take it.
0: I'll take it. I'm trying um, to give you credit. I, I complimented the beard before the show even started. I wouldn't say it's a compliment, but I'll take it. Um, the uh, Anyway, that's Brady Quinn, Ryan Wilson. How you doing, buddy? Long time. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah,
2: <laughs> hey, hey, there you go.
0: Uh, we also have a Ron Rivera fired emergency podcast in the feed that we recorded on Tuesday afternoon. You can check that out as well as our Monday night recap. Um uh, we will be uh doing emergency podcasts every time somebody gets fired. GM assistant coach, quarterbacks coach, you name it. Fired? Emergency podcast time. Just kidding. We will uh we will do the emergency pods. By the way, somebody wrote on an iTunes review, and you can leave an iTunes or an Apple Podcast review, excuse me, a five star review, leave something funny in there, an anecdote, a question. We got a bunch of questions we'll answer Lady about Brady, later from Brady. Someone said that um they randomly had the Brady Quinn football show lasers pop in their head, like the <laughs> pow, 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 pow. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I don't he's like, Maybe I need to ease back on the amount of Brinson and Brady in my life. Um which is a thing that my wife says too.
1: I just think that like everyone should have a moment where they, they can spring that sound on them. Like it should either be an alarm, it should, either, it, should it should just be something in your life there where either it helps wake you up. Or it should be like when something good happens, right? Like you, you know, having a great meal. You walk out of the restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, like something like that. Like I just think that should be a part of everyone's everyone's daily life. Which I still, I mean, Miami this year. What a disappointment that school has been. But um mm-hmm. hey, There's can some- I chime in quickly on the Carolina Panthers firing of Ron Rivera? You certainly can. Okay, Uh was a little bit surprised by the timing, although sure. I do find it kind of interesting that. They lose at home versus the Washington Redskins who also don't happen to have a head coach at this point in time. And so maybe that got David Tepper thinking, huh, I mean, if they can beat us without a head coach, why am I employing this head coach? Right. Um, and so maybe that was some of the logic to it. But one thing that I can assure you of uh, being a part of organizations and just different ownership is every owner, whether they have hands on or not within an organization, they really want to set the culture. And I think, you know, in the NFL, even though they're pretty far removed from actual being out there on the field, uh, where, where results are, are made, they still have a huge impact on the culture of that organization and that environment that they create. And so I think this is probably an example of David Tepper wanting to say that, look, that's not good enough. Like we defend our home field advantage. We don't lose to a team that has basically been a doormat for most teams this year and doesn't even have their head coach and you know I, I just think he he wanted to kind of put his foot down and say i'm not going to uh, i'm not going to allow that to happen moving forward so uh bottom line it may have been a surprise to some people it kind of was to me to for some degree but i think when i thought about it a little bit more and just from my experience being around different teams with different ownership uh you can understand that like clearly now that he's taken over as a, as a majority owner he wants to act quickly to build this thing back up to where i think he thinks it should be um you know he was a part of the Pittsburgh Steelers beforehand the irony to that is uh Jimmy Jimmy Haslam who was a minority owner with the Pittsburgh Steelers before he took over as majority owner of the Browns. If you look at very early on when he took over the Browns, they very quick decisive decisions, not necessarily good decisions, but still uh that that's something you tend to see out of young owners, they're making very very quick decisions, uh they, they tend not to be patient, they tend not to, you know, take a while to to make these sorts of decisions. So, uh that was just kind of a couple of things that stuck out to me.
2: Yeah. Plus these owners usually come into the situation having made billions of dollars. They're used to being, uh, the, the head, the, the big cheese or whatever. And they're used to having things go their way and clearly things haven't gone their way for the Panthers. Uh, so I want to ask you a few things. Brady Tepper released a statement in that statement. He said they're also going to hire an assistant GM and assistant director, assistant director of operations. If you're Marty Herney, what are you thinking? And if you're Cam Newton, what are you thinking as they spin this thing forward?
1: If you're Marty Herney, I mean, here's the predicament you're in either you're now going to be a part of uh, an organization where you don't really probably have the final say in the roster, uh, and it's usually a joint decision, but ultimately uh, the buck stops at somewhere, and it's usually the general manager for the roster decision. So if that's the case, you're sharing that responsibility, you're basically being set up to be the fall guy, right, because you're the expendable one. They're just bringing on someone else who David Tepper can rely on, and eventually they're going to move on from you. Not a good spot to be in. Uh, and so if I was him right now, I'd just basically say, okay, why don't you let me go ahead and, and move on to – you know he's been in Charlotte for a long time. Uh, I'm sure will can, can speak more to that but uh, you know maybe he doesn't want to move on to another organization and or be with another team uh, but uh, you know or, or maybe he, he doesn't mind having to share the responsibility and potentially the blame if things don't work out but that's how I would view it like if I was in his shoes I'd probably want to look to go find work elsewhere unless it's just a lifestyle decision and I want to stay in Charlotte like he did uh, over the period of time where he left the Panthers and then eventually came back. Uh, as far as what it means for Cam Newton, it's not a good sign. Again, I think with an owner, when you talk about trying to set the culture of your organization, you know you also want to bring in your own head coach. And when you want to bring in your own head coach, he wants to bring in his own quarterback. Uh, so I would imagine that even though Cam's on an economical deal, they're probably going to want to move on from him. They'd probably look to draft one uh, somewhere high next year to come in and kind of be the guy moving forward. Kyle Allen played well this year. I'm sure him and Will Greer can help create some depth there behind um whoever the starter is next year. But for me it's gonna be someone that they end up taking in next year's draft and, and I, I think look Cam Newton's gonna be a starter next year. I just I don't think it's gonna be with the Carolina Panthers.
0: Yeah, I uh I think that they'll probably trade him. I don't they could cut him depending on it, it all depends on his medical situation really with Cam, but I think a trade could certainly work out and be like and if they decide you know If they decide to move on from Marty Harney, it also makes sense to me to move on from Cam Newton because you get sort of a a clean break for the whole organization. Hit the reset button. It's something I've been talking about since really the preseason. Like if this if this year didn't work out for Carolina, it felt like that's the direction they were heading in. You know, I I would I'd be curious, Brady, what uh what do you think? I floated this on the podcast, and not that not that Ryan follows the college game closely, but you know, from a draft perspective, I know you talk to these coaches all the time, two names that stood out to me. And I know one of them you're going to laugh at. And the other, I think you might think is interesting, but I'm curious if you would add more to them. Uh, Matt rule, out of Baylor, who took a you know when he took over, they were one eleven his one and eleven his first year. They're eleven and one now. They could easily be going to the college football playoff had they held on and beaten Oklahoma a few weeks ago, they're gonna get a chance to redeem themselves in the Big 12 championship game. He floated with the Jets last year. The Jets tried to make him hire who they wanted on his coaching staff and he wisely said no dice. And then they hired your boy Goose. Um and then the other Dabo Sweeney. I know that's a crapshoot, but he's local. He is uh maybe he wants to shot at the NFL and, uh, you know, maybe maybe David Tepper would give him the run of things. Do you think either of those college coaches is viable? And if not, or if so, uh, would you add any names to the list from the college ranks?
1: Matt Rule, definitely. I think he kind of comes from an NFL background to start off with. So, you know, there's some sort of desire there. And I think you look at the way you build up programs, what a Temple before he ends up going to Baylor. And there's a lot of respect there. I think a lot of people look at him as, you know, truly a coach, truly a, a leader who can come in and kind of reshape a program. I mean, think about what – Baylor was when he took over for our Bryles. I mean, that was a one-win football team. It was an absolute disaster. And in just a few years' time, he's been able to make it into a team that's right now in the top ten. Uh, so there's a lot of teams looking at him. Uh, the Carolina Panthers are going to have competition for him. It could very well be the Dallas Cowboys if they move on from Jason Garrett. It could very well be the New York Giants if they move on from Pat Shermer. Uh, I would assume even the Washington Redskins – have put out some feelers, although the toughest part is going to be coaching for Daniel Schneider, which, again, I think, you know, the Carolina Panthers, Giants, Cowboys, uh, presumably in, the, in this scenario, would all be better places to work as opposed to the Washington Redskins. Uh, so he's definitely a candidate that I would throw into the mix for that. You know, as far as anyone else out there that's currently coaching, I couldn't see Davo. I just, I really couldn't. I think he's got a good thing going right now. It'd be hard to leave that program with where it's at and how he's got it rolling. Uh, at least stay for another year with Trevor Lawrence try to go win another potential national championship they may very well win it this year uh with, with as good as they are and as loaded as they are uh, and, and I wouldn't you know he might want to test the waters at some point I would just be curious to see how things would translate over uh from a scheme perspective for him the NFL game is so much about matchups so much about scheme Uh you've really you've really gotta be uh one of the, you know, best X and O's minds I think to really excel at that level. And so much of college football is about recruiting and leadership and you know, being able to to manage people. And I think those things are still still applicable at the NFL level, but there's still gotta be a fair amount of like understanding when your offensive coordinator or when your defensive coordinator is messing up and when you've gotta kinda step in and consult and step in and do that, even if you're in a more managerial role as a head coach, if you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, Nick Saban, maybe you want to try to throw a bunch of money at him, see if he you know, is tired of dealing with recruiting and everything that comes along with that. Things didn't work out in Miami. Maybe he'd give Carolina a try. Uh, Urban Myers out there. He's one of my co-workers. Uh, I'm sure there's a, there's a lot of other guys who've been incredibly successful at the, at the college ranks that maybe you want to fish around for and see. Um, and, and that probably plays into the fact that and Pete Prisco and I were talking about this earlier in HQ. You know, there's not a lot of coordinators you look at and say, man, that guy should be the next head coach of X team, right? Josh McDaniels is one, but he's been a former head coach. Outside of that, maybe Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator for the Colts. He's done a really good job during his time there with Frank Reich. Uh, He'd be a guy that kind of sticks out to me, at least, someone that people could talk about. Uh Outside of him, I'm, I'm not sure unless you're talking about retreading another coach that maybe just got fired. Maybe Jason Garrett, guy's never had a, a losing season in his career. Uh, unless this year would happen to be that. Maybe that's a guy you'd want to or at least as far as having a starter and so forth. Um, but, you know, there's, you know, there's a number of names out there. I just don't know that there's anyone that really kind of sweeps you away and says, like, that's the guy. We have to go out and get that guy outside of potentially a Josh McDaniels.
2: Uh, Brady, two names that maybe will be looked into. We don't know if they're going to be home runs or not. Kevin Stefanski and Robert Sala, uh, Vikings OC and 49ers DC. But I wanted to ask you this because you mentioned, and passing Nick Saban and Brenton mentioned him on the emergency podcast. Why would Nick Saban? Why would Dabo Sweeney, Why would Lincoln Riley leave their super plum gigs to go to the the hardcore, rigorous, have to win it, no, uh, have to win no matter what NFL? And we saw what happened when Nick Saban wasn't able to recruit. With the Miami Dolphins, he the first thing he did was take Dante Culpepper over uh, and injured Drew Brees, and, and that obviously didn't work out. He didn't last long. Bobby Petrino is actually another example of a guy who just didn't work out. Is there any incentive for a, a college coach who is wildly successful to leave that cush setup to go to the NFL?
1: Yeah, more money. I mean, you could
2: get paid more at the NFL level,
1: and so that's the biggest thing: is is do you want more money? Do you need more money? Do you want to try it again? Um, I think the toughest thing for a You know, college football head coach who's got a very very well established one in the NFL is you've, you've got it all. I mean, you're probably the most, you know, highest paid state employee, um, you know, in in whatever state you want to talk about, right? Like you, you probably can dictate whatever you want from a recruiting standpoint, your facilities, everything else. There's not many people you answer to. Like you can say it's the athletic director, but like, let's, let's check your pay stub. You know what I'm saying? Like you're getting paid more than the athletic director. You're getting paid more than the president. Um, and so you've got a lot more control, in particular with big money boosters and, uh, I'm, I'm with many, uh, high ranking officials within the state government or the local government there that even your president athletic director does. So, um, you know, you, you'd be sacrificing and giving up all that control that you have, uh, for taking over an opportunity where you could get paid more and you don't have to recruit. I mean, as much as you want to talk about the grind of an NFL, you know, season. I mean, come on, man! All these guys are, are are working now. They don't have to go to class. You don't have to worry about following them around and making sure they're they're getting papers done and so forth, um, or constantly recruiting because that's a never ending deal. Because if you're not recruiting for next year, you're recruiting for two years down the line or three years down the line, and so that it never stops. Um, the NFL is a grind. There's no doubt about it. But there's also a lot of things that are put in place. Uh, to help you focus solely on football not the other, all the other things like boosters um and, and the different things that come along with being a head football coach at the college football level so there's some things that are enticing They're two different games though i mean that's the thing is talent's more equated at the at the NFL level there's everyone's great you know everyone's a re- everyone's a good football player you know there there's good really good and there's great players and those players usually move on to be hall of famers or a small percentage but um th- that's what you get at the NFL level so, and then it comes down to scheme and matchups and that's where again I, I keep you know harking back to you have to be an X's and O's guy you have to be dominant there because you, that 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 will get tested at the NFL level and if you're just one of those guys who kind of manages it all or you really relied on recruiting and your assistants to do a good job if your staff stinks you're going strugg- to struggle at the next level
0: and look David Sweeney he hadn't lost since 2017 I mean like I'm not I'm just I'm just throwing it out there as a like I think he would at least be I think any coach any person in a profession would be enticed by the idea of winning at the highest possible level. I don't think he would leave. I'm just saying, just like you know, throw it out there. Maybe David Tepper can splash through that Appaloosa money out there. Hey right, Brady, uh, what are the Cowboys waiting for? Why are they keeping Jason Garrett around?
1: That's a great question Um, and, and with the words of Jerry Jones today or I should say yesterday because when this podcast is hitting, uh, Jerry Jones thinks he's going to be coaching the NFL next year. Uh, didn't say necessarily with the Dallas Cowboys, so uh <laughs> That was kind of interesting. Like, it's to the point where, are we looking at Jerry Jones we're having? He's like having senior moments. Is that, is that what this is? Like when he's 77? You guys tell me, like, is he so old now to the point where we're like, does Jerry Jones know what he's saying? Or is he being so calculated where he's actually complimenting Jason Garrett, but at the same time, basically saying like, yeah, we're going to fire him, but I'm pretty sure someone else is going to hire him.
0: um, Yeah, I, I, I think he's, I think Jerry Jones was answering the question in a way that was basically like, "Look, you guys know I'm fired him." And as in Ryan's words, "I'm mattering a box of frogs. I'm going to fire this coach unless he wins the Super Bowl. I told everybody that, and uh, if he doesn't, you're going to get you going to go work for the Giants. Can't, I, I know he's going to work. He's Jason's a great man, a great person. He's gonna be great with the Giants. I think I think he will kill it in New York, and I think they should hire him right now, right now. <laughs> um, I don't know, Jerry but here."
2: Let me ask Brady this because we talked about it on the podcast earlier. Do you think, and I'm convinced, and I think Brunson is too. Jerry Jones needs a manager, a manager, a coach that he can manage. Like J- uh, Jimmy Johnson didn't work out. Jimmy Johnson won all those football games, but he wouldn't let Jerry Jones take the credit, and that was a huge issue. 20 years later, so I don't know who the Patsy's going to be after Jason Garrett robot walks his way out of the, the, the building for the last time. But I think they're not going to get the best coach possible just because of Jerry Jones' ego.
1: That's going to be one of the hurdles. I think if you're looking at that job, that's probably the only thing you're saying is is going to be the reason why you wouldn't take that job. I think most most head coaching candidates will look at it and say, it's the Dallas Cowboys. It's the most valued franchise there is in professional sports. They've got a lot of good young pieces there. It's a good roster. You can win. And, And look how bad the rest of the NFC East is this year. Like, Not only can you win with the talent they have, You can maybe win for a sustained period of time with some of those young pieces that you have in place. So there's a lot of enticing things, you know, they're going to be able to pay you a bunch. You have access to so much, but you got to deal with Jerry, you know, it's like, you got to deal with uh, the the patriarch, you know, it's like, if if you watch the show secession, it's like, yeah, you got to deal with the crazy dad who like built the whole thing and you have to figure out how to somehow still make it work. Like, is that worth it? I, I don't know. I think for some, head coaching candidates it will be just to have a shot at it i mean it's one of those jobs that you, you can't turn it down if it's offered to you right like i don't care who you are if i'm the dallas cowboys and again it's it's the dallas cowboys like i would go after bill belichick i would go after nick saban i would go after you know urban meyer who whoever i could i would go after them all like whoever i feel like the best head coaches are at whatever level that i feel like could help me win a super bowl i would go after them because i am the dallas cowboys i'm jerry jones and They can think whatever they want, or you can think whatever you want of Jerry Jones because whoever gets the credit, however however it works, he supplies his coaches, his players with everything they need. You go see their facilities. You go see everything those guys get. He gets them everything they need. So as much as we view that as a negative or as a con when weighing the pros and cons of this, I still don't think it overshadows just how big that star really is there in Dallas.
2: Mm. Hey, Hey, by the way, Brinson? Yeah. Uh, following up on Brady, I think that Jason Garrett is 100% Kendall Roy, just a beaten down man that wants to get out.
1: That's why we kind of brought it up. Like, that was the first thing that came to mind. Just kind of, like, at this point, he's just he, – he's he's there. Like, Shiv's going to take over, right? Like, we – we oh, at least we think that. We don't really know, but Shiv's eventually going to take over. Right. Who's Shiv? That's what we got to figure out. Who is who is Shiv? Who's going to take Charlotte, over
2: Charlotte, right? I, could literally Shiv- be Jerry Jones' daughter. Shiv
1: is Lincoln Riley.
0: You think Lincoln would leave the Cowboys job? See, that's different. Like, trying to get Dabo out of Clemson for the Panthers job is different than trying to get, like... Well,
1: yeah, throw throw Dabo into the conversation for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, let's be honest. Like, again, like, it's the one job where if you're offered it, like, how could you be like, yeah, you know, Jerry Jones came to me, offered me the Dallas Cowboys job, head coaching job, and I turned it down. Like, I have no coaching experience. If he, like, was crazy enough to come ask me, I'd be like, yeah, dude. Okay. Like, like, or would I? I, like or would I? anyone would, like, it's like, who would turn that job down? Like, you're gonna have a hard time, you have a hard time losing games there sometimes, considering the talent that they have. And, and again, it's a great job. So, Dallas is an awesome city. It's like, it just, it seems like a no-brainer. So I, I think there's so many more pros that outweigh whatever comes along with Jerry Jones. And, you know, I, I just think at that point, if that's the worst thing, then there's like worse things you'd have to deal with. And especially in comparison to, another franchise in the Washington Redskins who have fired their head coach and have an owner in Daniel Snyder who seems like he's much more problematic to deal with
0: well you mentioned Urban Meyer for the Panthers job what about Urban Meyer for the Cowboys job
1: yeah I mean I think it's one that if he was offered it to be again hard for him to turn down or anyone else to turn down you know and look he's arguably one of the greatest college football coaches of all time like you know, maybe you want to, you know, test it out, see how things would work there. You know, you look at Dak, uh, Prescott during his success, uh, at Mississippi State, he's with Dan Mullen. You know, yep. Dan Mullen, you know, was with Urban Meyer, you know, at Florida with Tim Tebow. So there, there's some connections where he'd obviously would know the personnel and, um, you know, you'd have to assemble a staff and all that. But no, I, I think he'd, he'd be another guy that would be a great fit. He's a winner. He's a leader. Uh, he's a motivator. And so I, I think, you know, again, I, I don't know. We haven't talked about it. Um, but I would imagine that, you know, he'd look at it and say,
2: like, yeah, it's the Dallas Cowboys, how can you turn that job down? Hey Brady, during the um the Fox Telecast last week I think the pregame show I was watching, and I think it was either last week or the week before, Urban was talking about when he was coaching, he would actually stand across from the opposite, the other team's head coach on special teams plays, just to see if something was going to happen. And that's sort of a revelation for fans and people who don't follow these things super closely. And I thought that was interesting. And that led me to 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 wonder, do you think Jason Garrett does things like that? Because we crush Jason Garrett all the time for not doing anything. We don't know if his headset works. We joke about that every week. But is he not doing the little things like that? Because it doesn't appear that he is. And coaches that seem not to have much success don't appear. Like Freddie Kitchens, I can guarantee you, doesn't even know where the other team's coach is on the other side of the field. But do you think that Jason Garrett's actually doing these things and he's just having terrible luck?
3: Yeah,
1: it's hard to tell. I mean, I haven't studied Jason Garrett enough as a head coach to really know. Uh, I, I would say this. I mean, in, in the context of that conversation, Urban was talking about how when you've got a head coach who handles one side of the football versus the other, you know, typically when there is something that's happening on special teams, whether it's a fake or a surprise onside, for example, You know, that coach is going to naturally pay attention because he's got to actually then call the plays for the offense. For example, if they recover the surprise onside or if the fake is successful. So, you know, typically they're going to be out there watching to kind of pay attention when usually they aren't, right? Usually they're over by the bench talking to the quarterback, talking to the offensive players or defensive players to go over adjustments for the next drive. Uh, and so that's something that, you know, Urban talked about or alluded to. They connected it back to Bill Belichick during the Super Bowl this past year, asking where McVeigh was. Where's McVeigh? Where's McVeigh? Where's McVeigh? Because McVeigh probably is going to be standing somewhere to watch if they're able to do something on special teams. Now, and you got to think too, it's it's kind of like a self scout thing. I mean, with, with the Rams, they have Johnny Hacker. Johnny Hacker's a hell of a, a passer as a punter, so they could run a fake whenever they want and probably be you know pretty successful with it because the Hecker's ability as a punter or really even a holder at that point or 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 for that matter. So. It was just one of those things, like one of those little insights that I think head coaches can give when they're a head coach and they're, they, you know, they're not calling plays on one side of the other. That's, I think, one of the advantages, by the way, too, when we look at who these teams hire as head coaches. You know, what kind of head coach are they going to be? Are, are they going to be a guy who manages it all? Like, for example, arguably right now, you'd say the Baltimore Ravens are the best team in football. That's what John Harbaugh does. He oversees the whole thing. He manages it. He's got Greg Roman on one side, Don Martindale on the other, and he just kind of manages those situations. And granted, he comes from a special teams background, as did Urban Meyer. And, and you know, as far as, you know, coaching that side, uh, one of those three phases. So, you know, he can kind of speak to that. So it's just one of those little, little tells and things that I think the best always have. Those little nuggets, those little secrets and things that they look for in the game. And, and, and it kind of separates them maybe from some of the others that don't have quite as much success or as much experience doing it.
0: Mm. By the way, uh, just really quickly, worth noting that, um, uh, David Tepper said in a video that's already been posted to Panthers.com, which is very quick. Um, he said that he wanted, he didn't want to have to be making inquiries about Someone to replace Ron Rivera while Ron Rivera was the head coach. He didn't feel that was right to do to Ron Rivera. Um, and he also wanted to felt like he felt like he needed, just had to put a stamp on the, uh, the organization. And, well, it uh,
1: makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, so many times you, you know, you're, you're, you're dating someone, right? And you kind of know it's on the outs and then you see someone else and now it like speeds up it being on the outs because you've, you've got another potential, you know, candidate to go on a date with. Like, we do that all all the time. It's it's human nature. I actually think it's pretty admirable that he's just willing to come out and be honest about it and say I don't want to have to go behind his back to make these inquiries. So it makes sense.
0: Yeah. Uh, it just I'll throw the quotes out just because I know we didn't have them in the emergency podcast. But he said, "When I came here two years ago, I wanted to show patience the football side and see how it was going. We made vast and sweeping changes on the business side. Brady likes it when I read quotes, by the way." Um, and he also added that there are competitive reasons why I wanted to make sure we were out there looking for all personnel possible for the future. I didn't want to have any inquiries where Ron didn't know what I was doing. I don't want to be doing things up front. It's just not who I am. I'd rather be straight up and honest. If I'm going to make a change, I'm going to make a change. Um, so there you go. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll dive into the draft.
3: Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, All right, welcome back to the Big Six Podcast. Reminder,
0: you, you can watch this on YouTube, youtube.com slash CBS Sports. It's a Brady Quinn football show, draft time, learning a lot about the college game through the minds of one of the greats, Ryan Wilson, and also Brady. Um, <laughs> If the uh, sports line's new data, this is sort of changing. It's fascinating how this is all flipping on us, right? It was the Dolphins were going to lock into the number one seed. Then the Bengals were going to own the number one seed, and now the Giants actually have a seventeen point three percent chance, Ryan, of getting the number one overall pick. Uh if you were the Giants, you had the first overall pick right now, would you trade it or would you just take
2: Chase Young? I'd take Chase Young and forget about it. I would actually listen to phone calls. I mean, we're not going to figure it out till the end of April when the draft happens. So yeah, you listen to phone calls, but right now Chase Young's at the top of the board and you go from there. Uh I think it, it screams more about the what's going on. Like We talk about all these other teams that are sort of uh, starting over from scratch. The Giants may be in that conversation as well. Sherman looks to be on the outs. I don't know what the plan is with Dave Gettleman, but clearly um, the, the Giants' owners are not happy with how things are going. We know the Dolphins are intentionally trying to lose football games or at least purging the roster to start over. We know that. Um, we know that uh, the Redskins have no idea what they're doing, and they've sort of messed things up. Both those teams have more wins than the Giants, who apparently had a plan this off season. They traded – Traded, uh, they trade up in the first round to get uh to Rebecca at the end. They got Dexter Lawrence as part of the Odell Beckham trade. Of course, they tra- drafted Daniel Jones. Uh, the defense is terrible. So I think if you take Chase Young and don't even answer the phone, you're going to be a better football team. But if there's a chance to trade down even two or three spots and accumulate a bunch of picks, and maybe Chase Young's still there, you absolutely do that as well. But th- the problem is next year this team is going to be a mess no matter what they do unless they sign about 15 people.
1: It's interesting looking at the uh, the Giants because, like you had said, I mean, I mean, uh, the truth is no team sets up to go lose every game and get the number of overall pick the next year. It's just they, they don't, right? The coach can't afford to do that. The players can't afford to do that. Um, I think that's probably why you see so many people surprised that the Miami Dolphins have been competitive. I mean, look, the margins of difference between the greatest players and the worst players in the league is not as big as the perception on the outside. That's just the truth. Um, it's why you see, like, a weekend like this past weekend where, like, how were your picks, by the way, Will and, and Ryan? How, how were they? Were they
2: good or bad this week? Yeah, I guess the spread I actually rocked.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, in, in fact, in fact, Brady, here you go. This is the perfect example. Ryan sucks against the spread and he killed it this
1: week. So that, that, that's oh, yeah. very well. The, the, this weekend, I think, was a tough one for the majority. Like, if you were, if we went into this weekend, you picked straight up for the Bengals, Dolphins, and Redskins all to win. I mean, you tell me, like, did anyone ha- did you guys project that happening? No, no, no. In fact, I,
0: um, I had a good week. So I don't, I don't know how I, I didn't have a good week betting on Sunday, but I made good picks on Sunday and the books cleaned up this week. There were a bunch of public favorites who lost, especially on the road, like the Jets, the Browns. So yes, yes, to, to your, your point is correct, Brady. The, the big public favorites, the top, I think it was like five of the top six public favorites
1: got destroyed this week. You guys both went eight and eight straight up, by the way. So, and the only reason I eliminate the spread from this, because obviously for those bad football teams that were getting a, a big number, clearly they covered, but they even surprised us even one, which is probably surprising for a lot of people. I don't know that anyone, many people would have picked that. However, to Ryan's point, uh, it's not by design, right? I mean, this is an organization that I think they thought they're going to be more competitive than they were this year with the additions they made on defense. And then if things didn't go well, they'd eventually turn it over to Daniel Jones and he would finish out whatever remaining games they had to get some seasoning and, and work for, towards next year. Things were so bad early on that they had to go to Daniel Jones just to spark the offense. He did for a minute, but between injuries and then the lack thereof, what they need, I think, to be competitive, this roster is in a world of hurt. And I think Pat Sherman in a really, really tough spot because you know, looking at where they sit right now, um, so what they're in the number two spot there's no doubt they'll take chase young i think you have to at their point because they feel like they have the quarterback of the future so if you can't trade out and still get chase young you take chase young because he's that solid of a prospect uh, but i think the the issue for them is or really more for pat Shermer, is look it, it matters how you finish i mean bottom line is i remember being a part of a cleveland browns team we had one win going into the second half of the season not only did we improve we went four and four down the stretch but we improved just even how we played, how we lost, how much more competitive we were. And that four game winning streak to finish the year was enough for Eric Mangini to keep his job the following year. I mean, you're a five and eleven football team. If we would have won our first five and then lost our last eleven, he probably would have been fired after that. Uh but so the perception of how competitive you are uh, how you finish the season, all that stuff matters in particular for a head coach like Pat Shermer, where we, when we talked about before this wasn 't by design uh with the front office they didn 't tear this thing down they had, they had some pieces there they felt good about um and so that 's the interesting thing I think to keep an eye on with the Giants moving forward is really what happens with Pat Shermer. I mean they have to feel like they' he has to feel like they 've got to win some football games if he wants to have a job next year for the Giants by the way we 're all Chatting
0: separately, like, how did you get that on your phone so quick? That was incredible. If you're watching on YouTube, ready, like, look down and had like the like our against the spread record ready within. Seconds. That was straight up. It wasn't
1: against the spread. So straight
0: up record. How did you do that so fast?
1: Uh, I have my ways. I keep up on things because Prisco always talks so much garbage about our picks that I do have to keep a running record for another company that I work for that we we only pick straight up. They won't unfortunately because we're a partner with the NFL. Let us do it against the spread. Well, we picked straight up, and last week was an awful week for me. And uh, I think P- Prisco got the better of me. So between our crap talking back and forth, uh, that uh, gets thrown in there. So you I, have the page bookmarked on your
0: phone. You were able to go to it.
1: Not a page. Yeah. I just know how to get to it quickly. Okay. All
0: right. Interesting. All um, my
1: secrets will. I can't share them all with you.
0: Serious will let you pick against it, a spread?
1: Uh, they will not.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: Not quite there yet. Not quite there. Maybe, maybe once there's actually a team in Las Vegas, maybe they'll hey, be like, Hey, who cares about that now? Hey, um, not to go totally off topic, but I am curious about your thoughts on this. Cause I know you
0: were not, you're not big into betting. Like you don't, you don't gamble on, you're not a big gambler. You, you need not a slide of information our way when we need it. Um, not inside information, just, you know. Football.
1: Actually. No, I mean, to be quite honest with you, we had a briefing before the season for Fox Sports because I do call NFL games. I call a week two game. I'll call a week 16 game, maybe a week 17 if my schedule permits. And um, they were actually saying, like, look, this is new territory for everyone, but think about it like this. You really can get prosecuted like it's insider trading if you are an analyst and if you are calling a game and betting off of that. you know. And, and there's obviously – it's very easy to track that uh especially with what's set up right now within the United States, you know, geofencing, all the other terms that go along with it. But uh right. we were warned about that big time. And so it's to the point where like it's not even worth it for me uh to to talk about it that much because I don't want to put myself in harm's way.
0: Yeah, no, I don't want your insider information. What I want to know is what do you think about Josh Shaw going out to Vegas and sitting down at him doing a three team money line parlay out second half lines like fading his own team and uh getting suspended indefinitely? Is he banned from the league? Whatever it is?
1: Yeah, I mean he's suspended at least for this year, and probably I mean like 2020. Not, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he's for next year. He, I mean, bottom line is they want to set such a harsh tone on this that you know anyone who even attempts this sort of thing will will be deterred from ever doing it in the future. And, and I'm 100 percent on board with that. If they want to ban ban the guy altogether just to make an example out of him, I, I could care less about that either. Uh, I think the hard part for him in that situation is. You know, obviously he's, you know, it wasn't even active, right? He's on IR at that point in time. Uh, he has no impact whatsoever on the game. Um, now he's trying to like make a little money back off of it, but is this the same Josh Shaw that was from USC that like jumped out of mm-hmm. a window and and told he was going to like save kids and then later it found out he was like doing something. He was not- doing like, yeah, he was doing drugs or whatever. I mean, it's just, it, it's at this point, you know, it just, it's just bad character. I don't like to use that to, to, you know, Make the example. However, in this case, like, just probably not a very smart guy. Probably not a guy that's going to be in the NFL.
0: It's a layup for the league, too, because it's like, this oh, yeah. idiot's betting on football. Let's, like, band it. Like, like, we, like, he's not going to be in the league anyway. Like, let's go right. ahead and hammer this guy. And it, yeah. Um, so yeah, Josh Shaw, um, I just love he that, that he didn't win like, either. He didn't win from what I understand. He bet again. So he bet money line. Second half of mo- the uh, second half money like I don't even bet second half money line parlays, and I'm a DJ, but like he bet a second half money line parlay including one leg that was on the Buccaneers minus one against the Cardinals, and the Cardinals covered, so he faded his own team, lost, and did it during a second half money line parlay.
1: Um, I will say this: I've been to a sports book uh, in the Bahamas. This is after I was done playing, and it was actually during um college basketball season. Yeah. And that experience alone was amazing. I was like, this is unbelievable. Like this is what normal people get to do. They actually get to go watch a game, put a little money on it. So there's like an incentive to watch or want to root, even if the game's out of hand on the over under what have you, or the spread. I I thought it was like the most fun thing in the world. I can see how it could be highly addicting. I can see how people would just want to live in there, especially during March Madness. It is the greatest thing in the world, so uh, I, I do sympathize, you know, with you know all the guys out there who who actually you know go out there and do that, and I do feel bad for the kid, because uh, look, he just wanted to have fun like everyone else. You know, it, it is it is incredibly fun. I'll, I'll I'll give you that.
0: He lost. He lost. Like <laughs> we're gonna ban him for losing? He's betting against his team and he lost. Unbelievable. Well,
1: no, I mean, yeah, obviously like that side that end of the things like yeah ban on he shouldn't be able to play again now he gets all the all, the rest of his life if he wants to sit in a sports book and bet <laughs> or create this parlays and i'm just
0: saying it's like an absolute it's like the ultimate gen move to to bet against your own team on a second half money line parlay cuz you don't even have any information like the game's already started you're not like talking to your buddy at halftime you're like hey there cuz He's like, how's Kyler Maybe that's you know? like a
1: reason why they should have taken it lightly on him though. Like at that point, he did, it's not insider information. He's just essentially doing what anyone else would do in that situation.
0: True. Um, all right. Well, I know I'll be betting on these conference championship games this weekend. Excited for them. Uh, who are you, who are you looking at in the, uh, the old big 10 championship game? Not from a gambling perspective. From, uh, I, I think Ohio State's going to mop Wisconsin's socks off, knock socks off, whatever it is.
1: I, I here's the reasons why I think there is the likelihood that that does and does not happen. Right. I'll start off why that shouldn't happen. It's really hard for a team to beat a team twice. I don't care if it's in the NFL or if it's in college football. So it starts there. Cause the, the, the bottom line is you learn more from your losses than you do your wins. You know, you can definitively go back and say this lost us this game. When you win games, you can say it's a mistake, but it doesn't sound, you know, viewed or looked at as, as costly when you lose a game versus when you win a game. So Wisconsin has that to their advantage. They're not playing in Columbus either. They have that to their advantage. They're playing on a neutral site in Indianapolis where weather's not going to be a factor, weather was a factor for the Ohio State Wisconsin game earlier this year. Um, you know, so for those reasons, I think there's a chance that maybe they're looking at Ohio State and saying, all right, they played Penn State. They played Michigan recently. Like this team could be kind of beat up physically. Um, as compared to, yeah, Wisconsin played Minnesota last week, but they, handled that game for the most part, and their schedule hasn't been quite as difficult since playing the Buckeyes. And so for that reason, maybe there's a slight advantage for Wisconsin to keep this close. And I will also say their passing game has uh, come on a little bit the past couple weeks. Jack Cohn's been a bigger part to Quintez Seafest in particular, and, uh, and there is a little bit more balance to it. But they've got to figure out how to block Chase Young. He had four sacks this last matchup. Everything they tried under the sun did not work. So that's going to be a problem. That's going to be an issue. Uh, Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins have only gotten better. You know, Dobbins over the past, I think, couple games is averaging over 180 yards in on the ground uh, and three touchdowns per game. He's been phenomenal. So they're going to rely heavily on that. That's this is actually going the team that, you know, if you're figuring out who needs to stop the run, it actually needs to be Wisconsin. It's like, like Ohio State's rushing attack. Fields could be a little banged up, too. That might help Wisconsin. But 37 touchdowns and one interception this year. It's the best touchdown-to-interception ratio. He's been phenomenal. Um And so I just... I think I think the Wisconsin secondary is going to have a really hard time matching up with the Ohio State wide receivers. If if you look at their secondary for Wisconsin the last 3 or 4 games they're giving up I think on average like over 250 yards through the air, uh two less sacks per game, two in that span. They're so they're having trouble getting after opposing quarterbacks and and trouble in you know, trouble not giving up big plays. Um and so I think for that reason, you know, there's definitely a chance Ohio State could just mop the floor with them and move on to the college football playoff.
2: Uh, Brady, I thought Akuda had his best game this season last, uh, last week against Michigan. Jeffrey Akuda is going to be the top cornerback drafted almost certainly. And you mentioned, I think last week or the week before that, uh, you spoke with Urban Meyer and he thinks every player on that defense except maybe tough four is going to get drafted. Uh, I don't know if Sean Wade is going to play. He was sort of banged up last week. He didn't see the field. But if you're ranking these guys after Chase Young and Jeffrey Akuda, who do you like? And, uh, you know, what do you think about their chances? Obviously, um, what do you think? How, how in terms of how they're going to play against Wisconsin defensively?
1: Yeah, so I would say Harrison the linebacker is really good. Uh, you know, he's a player that's pretty versatile. I think he can cover decently well uh, for a guy of his size, but he runs really well. He's a sideline to sideline backer. You know, Pete Warner—they're not afraid to put out there. He's probably not a high draft pick, but maybe a guy you got to take a little bit later ends up being a special teams player and all that. But they think he's going to test a lot better than people think. Uh, they do split him out and put him on running backs all the time or tight ends uh, in, in coverage. In fact, if you go back to the Penn State game. Uh, they they think Fryermuth, their tight end, is somewhat comparable to uh, Gasecki, who they had, uh, who's now with the Miami Dolphins. They would split him out often and targeted him early in that game versus P. Warner. Warner did a pretty darn good job. So um he's another guy again who could get drafted uh, devon hamilton on the inside a little bit undersized but really good quick plays with good leverage uh probably more of a, a late round draft pick but you know, i think a guy if you watch the film you're gonna be really impressed with what he's shown so far david arnett he's not a first round draft pick but i think when you're looking at him as a cornerback you know definitely come more third fourth round as far as his skill set uh and, and, and his ability and i think you go back to last week i mean look Ohio State gave up a lot of yards to Michigan. I mean, those receivers aren't aren't any slouch, and Shea, Shea Patterson played pretty well. Um, but you know they didn't have Sean Wade, and I think Sean Wade's a big time difference maker for them at that spot. Uh, he's a guy who's going to run well and test well. He might sneak up into kind of the second round. He might be a little bit better than people think, uh, just because of the position he plays. And then I always mix up Pryor and Fuller, but Fuller, uh the, the safety in the back end, he's going to be another uh, guy that's going to get drafted uh pretty high in my opinion, depending on how the safety class looks. Uh, but one thing about Akuda that I found was interesting, talking to Michigan before the game, they were saying like they really didn't feel like he was tested that much this year. And they were curious to take some shots at him and, and, and kind of test him out to see how he'd match up versus the Michigan wide receivers. Um, and, and so it, usually when they say he hasn't been tested, they're kind of telling you they want to see how good he is. And I think, you know, you're saying, well, he had his best game. Well, yeah, cause they actually threw at him a lot more. Most teams don't even want to have to do that to him, but. Um, and I'll tell you this much, just from being in the stadium, there's two specific examples of some tight coverage. It looked like he might have gotten there a little bit early. Maybe in the NFL, they call that defensive pass interference, but he ended up getting away with it at the college level. Uh, either way, uh, you know, he's a guy that I think teams maybe, especially once they get to the playoff, uh, won't be afraid to test because if Michigan's willing to do that, the Clemsons of the worlds, the LSUs of the worlds, you know, they're definitely going to try to test him whether, you know, if he's isolated up one on one. And so we'll get a little bit better idea of just how good of a cornerback he is once he goes against some of the top wide receivers that would be probably next year's draft too.
0: You mentioned Clemson. I'm fascinated by Clemson because, uh, Paul Feinbaum on ESPN. Have you heard what Paul Feinbaum said? Uh
1: no, well, let's let's hear it though. Let's hear it, old Paul. Well, we don't we don't
0: have it play, but I will I will give you the quote. I'm gonna paraphrase it, but this is not a ju- I'm not kidding when I say this. He was on like the whatever the morning time show it is that they do. Um, <laughs> it's get up or whatever. You know, whatever. Like, wake is. up, wake up, wake, and, wake up. Yeah, wake up to generic NFL. No, wake up to generic headlines and sports shouting. Um, anyway, uh, he's <sighs> on get up. Sorry, I don't mind the show. And um, and he uh, he was asked about Clemson and asked about Dabo Sweeney and said that Dabo, you know, Dabo is like, you know, mentioning how he doesn't think Clemson gets the same respect, et cetera, et cetera. And he said Dabo Sweeney is he basically called him a sore winner and then said and this is almost a direct quote, but again I'm paraphrasing. He said someone needs to give him a pacifier and put him in timeout and come get him on December 28th when he plays a legitimate team for the first time this season.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to go that far. Um, to, to question the, the strength of the schedule that they've played You know, it is what it is. The ACC has been down this year. You know that. Um, yeah, you're, yeah. you're a Wolfpack alum.
0: Yeah, really. But Dabo has uh, more wins in the SEC than like four SEC teams. So it's like kind of ridiculous that like he just played and he played. They haven't lost since 2017. Feinbaum's just trying to drive some traffic and some clicks and to do what he does. Oh, no, no, be- no,
1: hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's be objective about this, okay? okay? Dabo has been saying how well no one was talking about us you know until the past few weeks. Now everyone's saying we're good and they're, we've been the same team all year. No, you haven't. You haven't been the same team all year. That's the truth. I watched the film. You were you can't tell me the same team that struggled to beat UNC is the same team we've seen the last seven weeks, okay? Like, this is a different team, and this is a team that's playing much better. Trevor Lawrence has averaged three-plus touchdown passes the past seven games. You know, ETN's averaged, I think, 130 yards on the ground, maybe close to 150 scrimmage yards, whatever it is when it averages out. But uh, the entire team is playing at a much higher level. So he he can say no one's talking about him. People were talking about him. We were just saying you don't play anyone, so we don't know how good you are, but you're definitely one of the top teams in college football. There is some truth to that. Like, there's been some comments he's been saying that you're saying to yourself, what's the point? Well, the point is he's trying to motivate his team. You know, you have to do something to motivate them, and and that's some, one of the things that I've really taken from Urban Meyer talking about how you know the the coaches, the you know OCs, the assistants, the DC, and all that. It, it's the games when you know you know there's not a you know rank number next to that opponent where you know you have to you know really coach and really motivate those guys and get those guys up for the lesser opponents. It's, that's where the motivation comes in. The big games take care of themselves. The players understand how what's at stake, how important it is, how good that team is across, them. They prepared and they prepare and watch them all week. It's the teams that you watch on film and you know are bad, and your players know that are bad too. And so that's the psychology I think behind Dab on what he's trying to do is he's trying to create an edge to this team. He's trying to create uh, a sense that maybe people don't believe in this team, right? Didn't he just say the other week, Will, that no one picked him to go undefeated through the ACC? Wasn't there over under before the year eleven and a half wins? And wouldn't everyone have, <laughs> everyone would take tw- you know the over or twelve wins on that? So um, he has said some things that you're just going, come on, dude. Like we, we get it, you're trying to motivate that, you know, motivate your team and all that. And it's all good. Like believe me, we all think you're one of the best teams in college football. We just haven't seen you play anyone yet. And so it's, it's there's it's a little bit of both sides on it. I just would never phrase it in that way. That's just disrespectful to me. And I'm not going to take that route. Okay.
0: Uh, Quinn colon urban for Cowboys, comma Davo needs Patsy. Um, what do you, uh, what are you looking at Ryan in this, uh, in this Clemson game, Clemson, Virginia, Virginia's actually got some players that'll hit you, but I don't know. No, they Keep don't
2: it. come on. I can't. Who are you kidding? <laughs> Uh, Clemson starts with Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker slash safety. Um, he's a freak athlete and, and you can line him up with linebacker or you can, I've seen him play free safety. I was at the Syracuse game and he was the deepest player on Clemson's defense. Uh, 30% of the time, I, I mean, he can do everything and he was a really good defensive player on last year's team that had those three first round picks on the offensive line. Uh, they also have T. Higgins, of course, uh, the, the big wide receiver. They have, uh, Travis Atien, the running back who's, who's obviously a big part of what they do and helps out Trevor Lawrence a lot. They have Kavan Wallace, who is a safety as well. So they have a lot of players, not maybe not as many as they had a year ago, but obviously this team is really, really good for, for a reason, and a lot of it has to do with Dabo Sweeney's ability to motivate his troops, but also because he has a lot of really good players out there. So I think Isaiah Simmons is a top ten guy, and it starts from there.
0: Uh We actually had a five-star review question. We're going to move on to those. You can leave a five-star review, and if you ask a question, we will get it answered. There's a bunch of Brady questions in there. Um. Once somebody was like, uh, somebody somebody was like, "How does Brinson put up with Brady?" I was like, I, "That's what I'm wondering." You um, wrote that one. I did. I, had, I went downstairs and like logged into my wife's phone and like created a fake iTunes name. How does
1: that handsome Brinson guy put up with Brady? <laughs> See, what they don't realize is someone has to give you a hard time, Will, because most of the guys you guys just all kind of talk about. Um, you know whatever it is, you know the analytics or the data, whatever you're researching and all that that you're coming up with. So someone has to keep you online. Someone has to give you a hard time. Uh, well, SB Trade Twenty Three
0: asks, I noticed that no one's mocked drafts. So he specifically said Ryan too. I noticed that no one's mocked drafts have Travis Etienne as a first round running back. As a Clemson fan, I'm curious: is this because his early exits from Clemson blowouts is hurting his stock, or is he just not viewed as a first round running back?
2: Um, here's what I think, and I'll. I'm interested to hear what Brady says. I mean, it's hard to take a running back in the first round. That's just sort of been the, 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 um, what we've seen recently. Obviously, Saquon Barkley is an exception. Josh Jacobs went late last year, but Travis Etienne, DeAndre Swift, JK Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss out of Utah, those guys are pretty closely grouped together. And if they, someone went, like, 25 to 32, it wouldn't surprise me. And if they all win the second round, it wouldn't surprise me. But uh, I like DeAndre Swift a little better right now because he can catch the ball coming out of the backfield. 18 hasn't done that quite as much, but I'm sure he's capable of doing it. But you want to see that with some regularity if you're trying to project that um, in the NFL. But right now, I like all those guys a lot. It's just that if you have other needs, especially along the offensive and defensive line, you probably focus on those early, circle back, and get a running back later.
1: It's interesting. He's a first-round talent to me. I think when you watch Travis Etienne, he very easily could be taken there. But, you know, you're probably not going to see that because of a couple things Ryan alluded to. The running back class, I think, has some depth to it, and there's a number of players that – you know, you, you maybe could put ahead of him. Uh, the 40 times is going to be big for ETN. You know, he strikes me as a guy who might be like a four, five, two guy, four, five, oh, guy. I don't know that he's going to be able to eclipse that, that four, five mark would be in the four, fours. That's usually pretty important. The 10 yard split's usually really important. If he could be somewhere in the low one sixes or high one fives, um, all those things kind of show explosion, quick burst, things that you're, you're going to need a, as a running back, um, you know, in, in, in the NFL. The lack of catches, that, that might be, you know, a small piece of it. I just think when you look at this league right now and what they put a premium on and what wins and what doesn't, if your team's a good football team, you probably have a good offensive line. If your team's a good football team, you probably have a, have a good defensive line. So um if you're a team drafting in the first round, I think you're eating up whatever offensive line talent guys you can plug in and play or can be cornerstones on your your offensive line. You're eating those guys up uh, as much as possible. The Defensive line, same thing, eating them up as much as possible. Um, those things I think come first, you build in and then work your, you know, work yourself on the way out. And it doesn't help that we, we tend to find guys who are college free agents who can come in and play behind a good offensive line or end up being a pro bowl caliber player. Philip Lindsay was that what? Two years ago. So this isn't to say that he's not a first round talent. I actually think he is Uh swift as well as another running back that Ryan threw into that category. And there's no doubt he is. But it's going to come down to how they test to see if he's like that special of a running back that he could be considered somewhere there in the first round. Um, but because outside of that, I, I think then you look at the fact that, all right, you'd rather take somewhere else that might be harder to find in this draft as opposed to a running back where you feel like you could find those guys and maybe they're a dime a dozen. Mm. Uh, next question. Love the pod and I try not
0: to miss an episode. We thank you. I have a question for Brady. What is an official visit like? I love college football recruiting and I've always wondered.
1: It all depends. I only took one. Uh, I took a number of unofficials though. Uh, and so those can kind of vary. Basically the difference between the two is, you know, you're limited, at least you used to be, to taking five official visits. And that just allows for them to kind of pay for you and your family to come out on the official visit, uh, to, to go through the same thing you wouldn't in an unofficial visit. The only difference is, is you're gonna meet with, you know, the school and the academic department and all that stuff. Obviously the coaches, you're probably gonna be going to a basketball game or some other event they have going on, a nice dinner with some of the other recruits, uh, and then you get paired with a player. And you go out with that player usually, you know, hang around some of the guys on the team, just to kind of get a feel for what they're like, um, and, and what the team's like. So that's typically it. I mean, that's kind of the PG version. You could do the same thing on an unofficial visit. And in fact, some of the unofficial visits that I took, uh, became a little bit more wild, um, where there were some things that I was like, I don't even feel that comfortable doing this. Uh, and in part, and in part it came because, uh, it happened over the course of the summertime. And so this is how, this is how, how much it's changed. Back when I was, uh, in high school and you were being looked at, you know, the the Elite 11 camps, the Nike camps, the Under Armour camps, all those camps that kids go to then get recruited, they weren't as big of a deal. And really what you'd get is a lot of schools would say, hey, we want you to come up here and throw in person at our camp. And I'll never forget going to visit Lloyd Carr in Michigan, and they had a guy named Scott Leffler. That was their quarterback coach. Loved Scott Leffler. He was great. And, you know, I literally probably threw 15 footballs, and they said, okay, that's good. And, and it was like literally just verifying what they saw on film and then seeing me in person and talking, you know, football and talking X's and O's. And that was it. And then after they offered, then other teams or other schools started to offer purely based on that. And, you know, it was almost like back then going to a Nike camp or going to some of these under armor camps. So, you know, from that, you know, you end up getting a lot of offers because people are like, all right, Michigan knows what they're doing. We trust their opinion. So where does this all come into play? So I was going to another school. I'm not going to name what school. But I was going to- another school uh with a wide receiver of mine who was trying to get looked at uh ended up walking on at, at at a small school um but it wasn't very well known but you know it was a kid who could run a high four four and had good hands kind of good knack for it but uh it didn't end up panning out but anyway, so we ended up going to the school we go in we visit. And my mom at this point, like she had drove us around everywhere. God bless her. Uh, me and another kid named Justin Valentine I ended up being a running back that went to Minnesota. Uh, him and his mom, they like we literally followed each other. And we just kind of drove to all these different schools where we go visit, see the academic side of things. And then uh, obviously go throw at the camp or go see the coaching staff for a day. So they they paired us up with a player and we went out. And, you know, at that point, I was like, all right, I got to throw the next day and work out and stuff. And I wasn't really, like, the type to even party at that age anyway. But the kid I was with was. And so he goes out, and it's like the summertime on a college campus. It was actually pretty dead. There wasn't much going on. Uh, but he ended up going out and having a little bit too much fun, if you know what I mean. And so we we get back late. My mom's furious with me. Uh, the, the kid at this point can't even speak. He's so drunk. And so uh- – we try to wake him up the next morning to go over there to to meet and kind of go throw and work out. And we, we, he like won't wake up. And so I look at my mom I'm like, what do we do? And she goes, she goes, you go and you handle this and you go tell the coach what happened. And so I go meet with the coach and I just said, hey, we got to make another visit. You know, this works. We were here for half the day yesterday. We're going to stop at another school on the way. I completely lied about it. I ended up leaving early just so I didn't throw my boy under the bus. Um, And it just so happens he ended up breaking the next camp we went to. He ended up breaking his forearm, a compound fracture, both bones, and a one-on-one route. And uh, we had to go to the hospital. We stayed there for a long night. It was the longest trip ever, Uh, but it all stemmed from him basically going out and getting bombed one night. And so we didn't even get to really work out or do much of that school. It's the
2: fuss. First- and that wow. man. P. Prisco. Uh, <laughs> one question, one quick question, Brady. Did um, you talk about the visits you went on as a high schooler? Who did you host? Can you talk about any of the people you hosted? How that turned out, good or bad? And because uh, usually, um, I would imagine, since you were sort of, you know, BMOC quarterback, they put some of the best guys with you that they wanted to get into Notre Dame, right? Yeah, you know, but but it's tough
1: because at the same time, especially my junior senior year, like they didn't want you to worry about that, you know, especially during the season when when you'd be hosting them. So. My junior senior year, I really didn't host any of them. You know, usually they paired them with like a younger quarterback. Like early on, like I got a lot of like David Walkie and Darren Bragg and Evan Sharpley, like, guys who were you know backups for me. Um, You know, when I was what a freshman and in my sophomore. But I, I'd, I'd started playing so my true freshman year on my fourth game on, I'd played in every game. So at that point, like usually they put it on guys who are redshirting or guys who you know you'll you'll be with them. You might see them at a dinner or something, or they might ask you to stop by, but. Uh, at that point, it wasn't like they're like, all right, have them come like hang out with you and kick it. Now on a couple of the unofficial visits, uh, there's a, a few players who were still playing at that point, not the same position, but like if they were a guy that, for example, was from Ohio, they would try to put Ohio guys with Ohio guys, uh, if in, in you know, in particular, you're in a different state, like somewhere in the South, somewhere, somewhere out West, something like that.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. I guess Brady too good for the old recruiting trips.
1: No, nah, it wasn't that. You know, you know hey, you know what I wanna know why guys love hosting recruits and all that? Cause you get a stipend. So you get like some cash to actually take them out to dinner and all that and then pay for some of those expenses. I can't remember what it was because I literally didn't do it enough. But there would be some dirtbags on our team who would be like, Oh yeah, I'll take them out. And they would just pocket the money and not tell the kid anything about it. And they would just make the kid <laughs> try to pay out of pocket and all that. Like that happened a number of times. I always thought that was hilarious. Uh some guys would try to figure out a way or you know, they try to figure out ways, like, if they were going to buy beer, um, to, you know, to go back and go to a house party or, or, or whatever they were doing, they would try to act like they had less than what they actually had. And they'd tell their recruiters, like, less money just so they could pocket a few bucks.
0: They'd be like, uh, yeah, we're doing McDonald's tonight. Sorry, Bill. Yeah. Um, right. I've, right. I hope you like the McTees. All right, let's get out of here. That's a wrap of this Brady Quinn football show, of course. Always great anecdotes. We'll have lots more, uh, next week as well as we get towards the end of the season. My goodness. Uh, For Ryan Wilson, Brady Quinn, that was fun, guys. We'll do it again next week.
3: If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts, So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.